Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who has done it all. He was the 1958 winner of the Junior Olympic Powerlifting Competition. He wrestled professionally as the Minnesota Farm Boy. He performed stand-up in the Borscht Belt. He won a New York Film Critic Award for his work in Three Days of the Condor. He has co-starred with television and film notables such as Peter Falk, Patrick Stewart, Kathleen Turner, Christopher Lloyd, Al Pacino, Sophia Loren, James Coburn, Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway and James Earl Jones. He is best known for his television role of Officer Nicholson of one of in one of AJ and my favorite shows of all time, the iconic Car 54. Where you are, are you, AJ? Please don't start singing the theme song. Can I hum it? Not yet. Maybe a little later. It is a pleasure to welcome Henry Greenberg Cone Sandler Weinbelt, aka Hank Garrett, to WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Hank. <laughs> yeah. Welcome all of us, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so let, let's start right there. Why is the name on your birth certificate read more like a personal injury law firm than a name? And where does the Cone Sandler Weinblatt part come in? I haven't got, yes, I've got the vaguest idea. <laughs> and I, it truly is the vaguest idea. <laughs> uh, my father was, uh, uh, oh God, my folks were from, born in Russia. Uh, my mom uh, was married to another gentleman long before she met my father. And my father uh, was uh, conscripted into the Russian army. Uh, and uh, the Russian ship came into New York. My father jumped ship with a, a bunch of other guys uh, and disappeared. Uh, he... Uh, Years later, met my mom, who was a widow, and and I don't know where all the names came from. But my father uh, took my mother's last name of Greenberg to hide because he knew that he was being sought by uh, authorities, I guess. Oh, wow. That, that's an amazing okay. story. And, and maybe he was a Kohane, so maybe that's Kohane, why they, right, they, right. They, they right. I, I thought something in. happened in Ellis Island right. uh, where, where the right. names got, right. you know. Same, they did that a lot. Yeah. All right, so or you mentioned, go ahead, what? Yeah, and, 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 in fact, uh, I, I still don't know what my legitimate name was. <laughs> and I registered for the draft under the name of Greenberg, that's uh, not knowing that it's possibly not my name. Wow, that's that is awesome. Yeah, you know, we mentioned you know, you're born in Monticello, New York. Your parents, as you mentioned, Sam and Ida Greenberg, are Russian immigrants. After you're born, you move to Harlem, and it's interesting because from 1917 to 1930, maybe many people out there are not aware that in 1917, Harlem was home to the second largest population of Jews in America and was the third largest in the world. About 175,000 Jews lived there. The Lower East Side and Warsaw were the only other communities that could claim more Jews in Harlem. Um, however, by your early childhood, the neighborhood started to change. And as, as a means of self-protection, you turned to powerlifting, bodybuilding, and karate. What was yeah. it like for you growing up, and why did you feel that that was necessary? You know, how bad was it for you that you felt that you needed to, to build yourself up to protect yourself? Well, I turned out to be the only white kid on, in that neighborhood at that time. 
all the other Jews had moved out. Uh, and the neighborhood, my block was Puerto Rican. Uh, it, uh, I was on 111th between Park and Lexington. East of Lexington was all Italian. West of, of Lexington was uh, African-American. And then the Puerto Ricans came in very, very strongly into the block I lived on. I turned out to be the only Caucasian kid in the entire neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A gentleman came around uh, through, the, through the neighborhood, and he was from Korea. And his name was Min Pai. And he was teaching martial arts. He was teaching the kids free trying to entice the adults to become students. I studied with Min Pai. Now, this was at the age of 11. Wow. I wound up training with some of the top martial artists in the world. Uh, I'm now a grandmaster. I'm in the Karate Hall of Fame. And when I was... 15, of just about 15 years old, I started wrestling. I was fascinated. Found out that my father was a wrestler in, in Russia. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely went, amazing. It really is. I mean, your life, I, I mean, Jay and I were talking about it, it, is, it, it, it's, it defies you know, description because you know, your bodybuilding and your powerlifting and your karate pays off. As you mentioned, you turned to wrestling. Toots Mont, who was the same man, by the way, who discovered Antonio Rocca and Bruno Sammartino, is the man who's responsible for making the Jewish kid from Harlem into the Minnesota farm boy. You toured the circuit from the East Coast to Chicago to L.A., and if I'm not mistaken, you even wrestled in Mexico City at a time when wrestling was really coming to the forefront, being televised. What was the biggest venue that you wrestled in? Oh, my God. Uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, but when I went to wrestle in Mexico City, I wrestled a guy named Mil Mascaras, who was God in, in Mexico. And uh, he, he beat me, too. <laughs> he beat me very, very, very well. And years later, I was at a, a wrestling convention in Los Angeles. And I was at a table, and one of the other wrestlers I knew said, uh, Hank, do you know uh, Mel? And I thought he said Mel. And it was a good-looking gentleman. Uh, he had a deep tan mustache. And he looked at me, leaned over, and he said, You were very good. <laughs> and I really, this was Mil Mascaras. It's a man. He was never ever seen without a mask <laughs> and I said very good you beat me to a pulp <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, and, and we and we became friends and I, I God I, I I was mentored by a guy named Jean LaBelle Judo Jean LaBelle another Jewish gentleman who had wrestled who would had, he was a pro wrestler and also was one of the greatest judo players in the world. 300 matches, never lost one. Amazing. He wrestled all over the world and beat every top judo man in the world. 
he was my mentor. In fact, I, he lives a couple of blocks away from me now, and I'm, we're in constant touch. So, 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 wow. <laughs> so, all wrestlers have a backstory. That's part of the thing. <laughs> so, how? What, what was the backstory of the Minnesota Farm Boy, and how did you have to carry it off as you went into the ring? And more importantly, was the Minnesota Farm Boy a, a good guy or a heel? Oh no, no, no! He was a baby face. He was a good guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I when I I started training, uh, a gentleman who created the names for us, said, uh, Hank, mm, it's not going to work. Hank, you're going to be the Minnesota farm boy. <laughs> I said, where the hell is Minnesota? He said, that, don't worry about it. So I became the Minnesota farm boy. I had never been to Minnesota, never saw a farm in my life. And that's the moniker. They dyed my hair blonde. <laughs> and I had a fan club. And I had a fan club, and the youngest member was about 145 years old. <laughs> there were little old ladies who made my wardrobe, and they would show up at the matches. In fact, there was an outdoor match uh, in, in Santa Monica, and I was wrestling a guy who was superb, a real pro. And... <laughs> He was really working me over. And he, he threw me, and he was going to drop an elbow on me. And as he was getting ready to drop this elbow, I heard this bang. And I turned, and he grabbed the back of his head. And what my fan, one of my fans, got into the ring and hit him with a Coca-Cola bottle. Oh, <laughs> That's sort of like Happy Mary coming to defense. Honest to God, she was about 105, 106 <laughs> years old, and she yelled, Leave him alone, you bully. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she I, looked at me and, and said, I'm not going to hit her, but I'm going to damn kill you. I said, I didn't hit you, she did. <laughs> what? It, it, uh, you know, you take a look at all these things, and it's like, you know, Forrest Gump was always in these positions, and it seems like you were too, because additionally, you know, your mom was really worried that you were on a path toward delinquency, and a customer of your parents' fruit and vegetable stand was a man named Willie Bryant, who was an American yes. jazz band leader. He was a vocalist. He was a disc jockey here in New York, and he was known as the mayor of Harlem. She had him yes. talk to you, because she was really worried, and instead of talking to you, he, he takes you on a little trip to meet a friend of his. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that trip and who it was and what what that visit impact had what impact that visit had on your life? Oh, absolutely. I was on the street with my fellow cohort. We were hoodlums. I actually slept in cardboard boxes at one point. Uh, my mom and dad, I was born very, very late in their lives, and they were fruit and vegetable peddlers. They didn't have time to spend to take care of me. She was crying to one of her customers, Willie Bryant, God bless him, that I was always in trouble. I was always fighting. And he came to me and he said, look, I got permission from your mom to take you out. Now, when you tell a New Yorker, I'm taking you out, that means I'm going <laughs> to knock you off. So I, you know, I'm ready to throw a shot at him because he'd also knocked a cigarette out of my mouth. 
But two mountains moved toward me. Those were his bodyguards, two Samoans. And he said, you have a suit? I said, yeah, I got a suit. He said, put that suit on. He said, before you put the suit on, man, take a bath. <laughs> wow. And I went, whoa. <laughs> and I wore my suit. And he said, first of all, before we go see my friend, we're going to dinner. And we went to a place called Wells in Harlem. It was fried chicken and, and waffles. And uh, the food was incredible. I'd never seen food or tasted food like that. And then we went to the Apollo Theater. And we were heading backstage. And hundreds of people were milling backstage in the street. And the, the, the crowd parted when they saw Willie Bryant. And we went in. And we went to see Sammy Davis Jr. And I knew the name. And Sam walked over, grabbed me, hugged me, said, sit down in his dressing room. And he said, Mr. Bryan said, you're either going to go to prison or you're going to die. And I said, that's it? He said, yeah, man, the way you're going, that's it. And he was right, and I had a pistol in my pocket. I had a 25 caliber pistol in my pocket. And he took me to see Sam. I was his guest. Sam did the most amazing show. And afterwards, they got me a job, a gig, with an all-black orchestra. And I, I became a band boy. And I said, what, what, what's a band boy? He said, you're going to put out the charts for the musicians. He said, the seats, the charts, and after the gig is over, you put everything back in place. And then he came up to me, and he said to me, hey, man, here's your pay. And he gave me 50 bucks. 50 bucks. Back then was quite a bit of money, for yeah. sure. Oh. It was amazing. He said, get yourself some new kicks. Shoes, because my shoes were torn to shreds. And I became a band boy for this orchestra. And I, we were working at the Hotel Teresa in Harlem. And at, at the, that night, <laughs> at the end of the gig, uh, there was party, party time. So all these gorgeous ladies were there, and they were coming in, they were going into this this ballroom, and they were going to party. And as I walked in... <laughs> they don't want the 50 me. bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they said, uh, where are you going, my man? As I'm going to the party, he said, no, you're not. I said, why? He said, and I was 13. He <laughs> said, hey, man, I don't need Sammy Davis shooting me or your mama killing me. So, uh, Good luck. We'll see you tomorrow night. <laughs> Have fun. Good night. <laughs> and that's how it started for me. Well, 20-some-odd years later, I was opening for Tony Bennett. I was his opening act because I, I was working the Catskills as a comic. And opening night, 
come on stage, and there is Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peter Lawford, and after the show, well, Frank gave me a standing ovation. And after, I, I, I'm going to start tearing up. Sam walked over to me and said, where do I know you from? You look so familiar. And I said, you don't remember me. And he said, no, tell me, tell me, tell me. And I said, I'm the kid that you said was going to go to prison or die. And we both cried. We both broke down and cried. Wow. Uh, if you just tuned in, we're talking to Hank Garrett, and what you've missed so far is that Hank Garrett, the Jewish kid from the Bronx thus far in our interview, uh, was the Minnesota farm boy and was the band boy for an all-black right. orchestra in Harlem. And that's so. only the beginning. Now, now you just touched upon your, your life as a stand-up. And, and basically, after uh, several years in pro wrestling, you packed up your bags for the Catskills, where you initially worked as a social director for the then-famous Browns Hotel. Buddy Hackett yeah. was the resident stand-up at the time, but soon you get your chance. Your, your stand-up consisted of stories of your childhood using various dialects to bring characters to yeah. life. The audience loved you, and before long, like you mentioned, you were performing opening acts for singers like Tony Bennett, Jerry Bell, Della Reese. One night, TV producer Nat Hyken, who already had TV successes with the Martha Ray and Phil Silva show, saw your act and promptly invited you for an audition for a part on Car 54. What do you remember about that audition process? Wow. Oh, there, there, oh, there was another a brief moment I for love. Like a minute and a half, I, I became a cop. <laughs> I, I went to Delahanty Police Academy. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I became a cop. So I was on the job. And a friend of mine by the name of Mickey Deems was a comic. And his wife, Gertrude, Gertrude Deems, was Nat Hyken's secretary. And they arranged an audition. Now, I walk into the audition that there's that hiking. I mean, the greatest comedy writer that ever lived. Ever, ever, ever lived. Sweetheart of a gentleman. And as I sat down, he looked at me and said, you're Ed Nicholson. And I said, oh, no, no, Mr. Hankin, I, I, I'm, I'm Hank Garrett. And he said, just the kind of dummy I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm writing a show about the misfits for the police department, and you're perfect. <laughs> so I became Ed Nicholson on Car 54. Where are you? Who was the not very bright cop. Right. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and you get this role in TV's Car 54 alongside Fred Gwynn, veteran stand-up comic Joey Ross, yes. Al Lewis, comedian Nipsey Russell. It's an all-star cast. Also had so and, many and, and notable don't, and don't forget guest Larry Storch. La Larry Storch mm -hmm. also has oh. so many notable guest stars as well. I would have to imagine that being on that set with so many comedic minds must have just been an amazing two years of going to work. What's your fondest memory of being on set of Car 54? Wow. Just being there. Every morning it was... Uh, going on vacation. It was a picnic, an absolute picnic. Uh, I'm I'm not quite 18 years old. I'm I'm in the, the midst of these bloody geniuses, 
these incredible performers. I'm a kid, and I, I'm trying not to act like a kid, and I, I was in awe every morning. I was in awe. I mean, Fred Gwynn, Joey Ross, Nat Hyken, who created all these incredible shows. I became a big fan of Larry Storch. Larry was working a club, uh, a club that he owned, the Crystal Room. And I went down to see him, and I couldn't get in because uh, I, was, I, I was underage. And, I, and one of the guys, was one of the bouncers at the club, was a student at this dojo, this place that I was training in martial arts. And he snuck me in. And I sat in the back watching Larry Storch, a comedy, comedy genius. And I'm in touch with Larry to this day. I call him all the time. Larry is in his 90s, and he still does headstands, yoga headstands, in his 90s. And contrary to the Internet, that's had him killed five times already. He is still so, alive. So, you know, so. Oh, he's amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing. Whenever we're in New York, we get together with Larry. So Mark, Mark and I were talking about one of the We, You know, I remember the series. I'm older than Mark, and I remember when it was first run. Mark was a little younger. I remember, remember the refund. Remember the refund. I, me I remember actually every week, I think it was on Sunday nights, it was on watching the show. And... and we're going back over what our favorite episode. Now, now mine, uh, and by the way, I looked to see if there's any that actually featured Nicholson. I don't remember, and I couldn't find any looking at the research today. So my favorite one of many favorites was Tootie the Detective, where he's watching this show called Crime, Crime Stoppers. <laughs> Which is definitely your favorite, because you've mentioned that I, mentioned, I love that one. You know, and, and finally, the show is preempted for, uh, for Hamlet, and he says, oh, you know, the, look for the king of the Prince of Denmark. <laughs> and then the, the robbers get their ideas from watching the same show. That was my favorite episode among many. What was your favorite episode? Mine was Car 54, uh, and it was called Whatever Happened to Thursday. Al and his wife, Charlotte Ray, would get into an argument every Thursday evening with one thing or another. And so they try to convince them that it they... When they spent a Thursday evening, no argument. We printed, they print up a newspaper that says it's now Friday. <laughs> and I'm the only dummy that doesn't realize what's going on. And the episode was called Whatever Happened to Thursday. And it was my, my, my big moment on the show. And, I, and one of the things that I was always doing is muscle posing in, in the locker room. Oh, God, what <laughs> wonderful times we had. Now, it's also interesting because then you go from stand-up comedy to TV comedy, which sometimes would you know, get you typecast. But three roles in the 70s would certainly go a long way to not getting you labeled as a comedic actor. And those are your roles in Serpico, Death Wish, and your award-winning role in Three Days of the Condor. 
How does playing a dramatic role differ from a comedic role, and what were some of the challenges you faced making that transition? Uh, whenever I went up for a legit role, uh, I was labeled. No, you're a stand-up comic, and everything you've done has been of a comedy nature. And a friend of mine, uh, a guy that I, I was helping, I would go to his office and work him out. And he was a producer. Uh, he wasn't a producer at the time. Uh, he was a, a uh, insurance salesman. And he, he became a producer. And he was producing a film, and he got me the audition. And I wanted to see him, and it was Serpico. And he got me a shot on Serpico. He said, because when I walked in to meet the, uh, the writers, they said, oh, that's Hank Garrett. Oh, yeah, funny guy from Car 54. Yeah, yeah, I saw him at the Copacabana. Very funny guy. But this is a heavy role. I'm playing a, a detective called Muscles Malone, where I have to beat up a, 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 a collar, a young guy who, that's brought in to the police station. Well, it worked. I wind up doing Serpico. I wind up doing a couple of other shows, very, very strong parts. And then when I went up for Three Days of the Condor, I, I walk in for the, the audition, and they said, uh, what do you know about martial arts? I said, well, I'm a martial <laughs> artist. And they said, we saw you in Serpico. Would you like to do the part? And I said, yeah. I did the role, and I was submitted for the award. And I wound up getting the New York Film Critics Award for best fight scene ever in film. Incredible. Now, as our time is somewhat limited with our guests, when AJ and I have a guest whose career is so vast and interesting, we like to end the interview with a kind of a word association. I'll give you a name, a role, or a movie, and you just tell me the first thought you know, that comes into your mind when we say it, okay? Sure. The Naked City. Oh, my God. I played a bad guy in Naked City. <laughs> wow. In fact... I was huge, and i one of the robbers, and we've got to escape by going into the sewers, uh, going down a manhole, and I couldn't fit. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, George C. Scott. George C. Scott I did an episode. He was doing a series, and I, it was called Strike the Statue. And I, they said to me, Hank, I want you, he's going to try to push through the crowd, and I want you to try to stop him. I said, how? I said, well, <laughs> can you put a hold on him? And I said, sure. Well, George is pushing his way through the crowd, and I put a lock on him, and he couldn't get out. <laughs> So he said, God damn it, let go so I can get through. <laughs> All right, Sophia Loren. Oh, my God. I was in a British West Indies doing a film, 
uh, with Sophia. And the scene was, uh, she's my boss's girlfriend. I'm a bad guy. And he says he wants to see her. And she says, tell him to wait. I said, nobody tells him to wait. And we're in a gift shop. And I grab her arm, I twist her arm, and I throw her into a car. And O.J. Simpson, who was supposed to rescue her, and all he was supposed to do is grab me push me, grab her, and run. But O.J. Simpson grabs my, the back of my hair, back of my head, and slams my head into the open car door oh. and cuts, my, cuts me open. And down I go. He knocked me out, and I'm bleeding profusely. Sophia... Uh, someone ran to get my wife because I was lying there unconscious. My wife was there. We were in the British West Indies, an island called Antigua. And my wife, then wife, comes running out and sees me lying in Sophia's lap. She's got a towel and she's blotting the blood. And I'm lying there in her arms. And my then wife says, are you comfortable? <laughs> and I said, well, I make a nice living. <laughs> oh, all right. We were soon divorced. <laughs> um, lastly, the first thing that comes to your head when I say Henry Greenberg, Cone, Sandler, Weinblatt, a.k.a. Hank Garrett. I've never met all these guys. Because <laughs> I said to my mother when I, I finally got a look at my birth certificate, and I said, Mom, which one of these guys is my father? <laughs> and she slapped me. <laughs> All right. Now, AJ has been so good, and I'm actually going yeah. to give you the opportunity, AJ, and I'm going to ask no, I, Hank I, to do it with you. Okay, we've had many people sing on our show. We've, had, we've actually had Ronnie Spector. Spector sing for us. We've had Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks sang for us. So I know that AJ knows yeah. the entire song word for word. I, I hope you do. Would you like to sing a little bit of the theme song of Car 54 with AJ? Of course. Okay. Who's going to start it? AJ? Well, let's start. There's a holdup in the hold Bronx. In the Bronx, Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout who showed a child who shifts to an idle wild. Car 54, where are you? AJ, that was your birthday present, okay, from me. My birthday's not until November. Well, um, I came a little early, okay? Okay. (laughs) I know how. Now, I've sung on the show along with Ernie Banks and Ronnie Spector. That's right, and and your favorite theme song, okay? All right, so, Hank, first of all, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thank you for making us laugh over the years on Car 54, as well as keeping our eyes glued to the screen with so many of the riveting roles that you've done. Where can people keep up with everything that you're doing, which I believe also includes an upcoming book about your amazing life. Absolutely. Uh, the book is called Up from the Sidewalk. It's about uh, how I, when I lived on the streets and how Sammy Davis got me out of that, that horrendous life I was leading. And, oh, uh, something else that's come up, which is kind of interesting. A guy who uh, was a big fan of, of Condor came to me and he created a cologne. And it's called The Original Tough Guy. <laughs> and it's an incredible cologne, and it's going to have a launch next month. 
which will be in time for November. So that will be your second Same birthday, birthday okay. present, AJ. All right, Hank, where can they find all this information? Is there a website? Uh, hold on a sec. DM is my manager. Hello, Mark. I Hi. can see he's really enjoying it. Yeah, we, we enjoyed it, too. We want him to get a plug for his website. So can you just tell our listeners where they can go and find out all the great information about the upcoming book, the cologne, and all the great things that Hank is doing? Sure. It's www.hankgarrett, all spelled out, dot biz. And there's a reason why it was biz, dot uh, com and dot net. When I started managing him, he had two websites, and they wouldn't cooperate with me. They wanted to charge me $4,000, so I thought, screw them, and that's why it's .biz. But that's uh, where they can find it. Great. <laughs> Thanks so much, and, and thank Hank again for his time tonight. We really well, appreciate here it. Here he is, Mark. Okay. Hank, yes, Mark. thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Have a great night. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Stay well. You got it. Hank Garrett, star of the iconic Car 54, Where Are You, among many other great roles.